This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. I'm Pastor Jason, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Um, shout out to Flourish for all the stuff they're doing, and we look, continue to look forward to what's coming from them and how we can be a part of, of uh, what's happening there. Well, today we are, we are continuing our sermon series where we look at the glory of God. A couple weeks ago, we started, we dived in, and we began to hear what many call the prologue of John's gospel. The prologue is this opening 18 verses that are, that are jam-packed with all kinds of descriptions about who Jesus is. In fact, some people say, if, if you could only read one part of John, the, pro, the, the part that's the most important is the prologue because he puts everything in there that is really essential, that he wants you to know about who Christ is. There's so much more, and the rest of it fills in the gaps. But if you really want to know what, what John is wanting to convey about who Jesus is, you want to go to the prologue where you, you hear all these words. And so today we're going to pick it. We're going to pick right up at the verse 1 of the prologue, and we're going to read through all 18 verses. We're going to hear this from a translation of the Bible that I don't often use myself, but I, I came across it, came back to it, and I found like the words just sort of, well, they say something, and, and they prick my own ears. So I'm like, okay, let's pay attention to this. So this is John 1 from the New King James Version of the Scriptures. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, or all of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light but it was sent to bear witness to the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every person coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of humanity, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A couple weeks ago, we started in this journey of looking at the prologue, and Pastor Spencer led us in in a look at the first few verses. And in those first few verses, we get this picture of Jesus being with the Father at the beginning of creation. And everything that was made was made through him. And as he unpacked that, he talked about the reality of that Jesus was a part of creation, and he's a part of creating right now. In fact, he, he pointed to the gospel writer himself and said, 
This is what John discovered about who Jesus was, is that he doesn't stop creating, and there's light and life that he brings to people who are open to him. Last week, we had uh, Bishop um, Todd Hunter with us, visiting with us, and he, he talked about the next section, where John goes down and he t- describes John the Baptist, this one who was sent ahead to be a witness. And he talked about how if we receive this witness, if we receive Christ, if we have ears that are open and eyes that are seen, no matter where we come from, no matter what, <clears throat> what we may think of ourselves, there's an open space for us at the table of, of Jesus. Jesus is open to each and every one of us. And so he talked about that openness and the challenge that we have. The challenge before us is to be people who receive. Today we're going to lean into that, that final section that was read about Jesus being the fullness of, of Christ, or Jesus being the fullness and bringing the fullness of, of the Father. John 1.16 says this, And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. One of the things that John wants to put before us is that when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of the Father. In fact, <clears throat> this, this proposition, this idea that he's putting out there in front of us, has got some challenging questions, implicit questions that he's addressing, even as he says this. And then as you unpack the rest of the gospel, he'll be talking about these questions, showing how Jesus reveals the fullness of the Father. But some of those implicit questions go something like this. How is it that Jesus himself, somebody who's human, that as he's writing, some of the people he's writing to would have seen, would have heard, would have known about, how is this human different than all other humans? And how does he compare to other people within our religious traditions? Like, how does he compare to the prophets? And the prophets are are um, personified in the, in the person of John the Baptist. Or how is, he personif- how is he connected to the law, which is personified by the person of Moses? How does Jesus fit in to this religious landscape that is way back in our history? And how does Jesus, in fact, fit into the religious landscape that is all around us? Whether we're, we're Jewish, we're Roman, whatever we are, there's a, there's a zeitgeist, there's a, this religious understanding that everyone tries to address in some form or fashion in their life. Where does Jesus fit in? And John is saying in all of this is that Jesus is the fullness of the divine. He's the fullness of God. If you really want to know what God looks like, you've got to take a look at Jesus. In fact, throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, one of the things that will keep popping back up, Jesus will make this claim of himself, and finally Philip, one of his disciples, will ask him at the, in the upper room, like, Jesus, would you just show us the Father? You've talked about the Father. You've pointed to the Father. Would you just show us the Father? And Jesus says this to Philip. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So one of the major passions of the gospel writer is this. He wants you and I to be people who know the Father and who know the Son and who know the Spirit. And if we look to Jesus, we can know God. So routinely, he'll just say, look to Jesus, you'll know the Father. Each and every one of us, we have within us a passion to know what God is like. And John would say, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Each and every one of us want to know, at moments at least, what God thinks about this world, what God thinks about us. If you want to know that, John would say, look to Jesus, because he'll tell you, he'll show you. Each and every one of us, at some point, wants to know uh, if we can talk to God, if we can walk with God. And John would say, if you, if you want that, look to Jesus. He'll show you, he'll lead you, he'll guide you. John has this passion 
And it meets us in the opening prologue. It meets us in these opening verses for you and I to be people who look to Jesus. The rest of the scriptures, the rest of his gospel, he is unpacking what it looks like for us to know God. Because on the one hand, we all have notions about what God is like. But Jesus is revealing to us, John is saying, Jesus is revealing to us the truest picture, the biggest imaginative picture we can have about what God is like. So soon after the prologue, John jumps into a, he jumps into a story about Jesus gathering some disciples around him. And he picks a couple of disciples to tell stories about. The first one he tells us about is a guy by the name of Simon, who on the one hand has the capacity to, to look like he's got a big backbone. He is not afraid to step up and say things in a, in a room. He has blustered to him. And yet, throughout the stories of the scriptures, we find that when the sunlight of criticism comes on Peter, he will melt away like a vine. On the one hand, it seems like he has strength. On the other hand, he can melt and run into the shadows. Well, Jesus calls Peter to come be one of his disciples. It's an incredible choice. I'm not sure everyone would ask Peter to come be on their team. And he looks at him and he says, your name is Simon. And you've got all this thing that you've, you've got about you and you're bringing with you. He said, but there comes, there's going to come a day when, when you will be a rock. And so I'm going to call you Cephas. It's not that Peter was a rock, but that Jesus knew that if he walked with him, he could become somebody who was solid, not just not just full of hot air, but somebody who had real substance, somebody who could lead and lead well. So Jesus called Peter to come alongside of him. He said, I'm going to call you Peter. It's not what you are, but that's what you'll become. Then after that, he encountered a guy by the name of Nathaniel. Nathaniel was somebody who, who raised a lot of questions. He was a skeptic. He had his prejudices as well. When he heard that some people were making a lot of noise about Jesus. Nathaniel said, are you kidding me? He's from the North Country. I mean, he had his prejudices about where you needed to come from, what your pedigree needed to be if you were going to make any difference in the world. Nathaniel was a skeptic. And Jesus came along and he said, I like skeptics. I can take people who ask questions. I want you to come and be a part of this, this work that I'm involved in. And he's like, why would I do that? Because he said, Jesus said, I saw you when you asked the question underneath the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, mind blown. He's just like, what in the world? Who is this that is talking to me? And <clears throat> Jesus is like, he's revealing something to us in those interactions about the glory of God, the fullness of God. And the fact is, is that God sees all of us, our good, our bad, and our ugly. God sees our, our questions. God sees us when we think we have real confidence, and God sees us when we wither, and yet God seeks to come alongside of us and be close to us. The next story that John will unpack for us is, is a miracle where Jesus goes to a wedding in the, in the region of Cana of Galilee. And at the wedding, they run out of wine, and Jesus' mother comes to him, and he says, she says, Mary says to Jesus, you've got to do something about this problem. Everybody's having a good time, but the good time's going to end because the wine is gone. And Jesus looks at her and he says, not my problem. I didn't come here for this. I came here to be a participant. I came to have a good time, but this is not my problem. And she's like, servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And so Jesus, after, after a moment, he says to the servants, go fill up the jars, fill them to the brim with water, and then draw some out and take it to the head head 
waiter. And so they do. And somewhere in the midst of that taking water out and taking it to the head waiter, the water becomes wine, really good wine. Now, how is that story revealing the glory of God? Well, it reveals God's glory and God's care and compassion in a, in a number of ways. It says to us that God likes a party. God likes the goodness and the joyfulness of life. God shows up when, when something good is going on. God loves, he especially loves marriages and weddings. That is something profound about who God is. He also shows us that God cares about things when, when we get concerned and we're troubled because things look like they're going to go off the track. God is there. We can cry out to him. He hears our pleas. And when God hears our pleas and he responds, he doesn't respond with just enough or just barely enough. No, the jars get full all the way to the top, and it's the best of the best. There's something that Jesus is revealing about the fullness and the glory of God when he makes the best of the best wine to serve to those who've already had a bunch already. He's not saying, you know, get more tipsy. But he's saying, no, there is joy, real joy, profound joy that is available and open to you. Don't smile like that, Pastor Jim. <laughs> Pastor Jim Mason's over here, and he's got a smirk on his face. And I just, you know, I don't know what he's thinking, but I know what he's thinking. <sighs> then the next story is not so much, it's not so much fun. It's not a great story. I mean, it's a great story to follow up on the wine, but Jesus goes from the north country, goes down to Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, and he's seeking to find a place to pray. But when he goes into the temple, he finds that it's really hard if you're an outsider to be in the temple to pray because they've been shut out. Because what's set up in the temple is a bazaar, and a bazaar where they're like selling trinkets, and they're selling doves, or selling animals, or selling coin, and all kinds of other things. And Jesus is like, not what you're supposed to find when you go to the temple. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. It's supposed to be a place of connection, and particularly... The place where they set the whole bazaar up was a place where the, where the other people, the Gentiles, the people who couldn't go into other places of the temple, that's where they set it up. So guess who couldn't go in the temple at all? Gentiles couldn't. And Jesus is like, this is not what it's supposed to be like. And so John tells us about Jesus turning the tables over in the temple, and, and he flips the tables, and everybody comes up to him, and they're like, what in the world are you doing? The people who run the temple, they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, I can because you've made this house a mess, my father's house a mess, and it's got to be cleaned out. And they're like, uh, I don't think you understand how this works. He said, yeah, I understand how this works. In fact, he said, you can destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And everyone in the room who heard him say that said, what are you talking about? I mean, you've done some crazy stuff, now you're talking crazy. Jesus said, tear this temple down, and I'll build it again in three days. John went on to say, Jesus wasn't talking about the physical edifice, the place where they had put rocks and the th places where they had put gold and silver and bronze and everything else and covered it up. No, he was talking about himself. Because he said, you know, people think they've got to come to this place and they've got to enter these doors and they've got to meet with God in this one particular place. But Jesus said, no, in fact, when the fullness of God is among you, you don't have to come to a certain place, but the fullness of God will walk to the places where you're at. The fullness of God, God's presence will be in the flesh. And when you want to find a place of rest, when you find a, want to find a home with God, you need to come to me. And John said, when Jesus said that, the people didn't understand. 
In fact, for much of his teaching, people would hear him and they wouldn't understand. And yet Jesus is giving us this picture of what God is like that challenges the people of his own day. And oftentimes when we take up and read the stories of Jesus, he will challenge our own pictures and our own conceptions of what God is like. Because we, like the people whom Jesus talked to, we tend to make God in our own image. Or we get pictures of God that come from lots of different places. Jesus, the true fullness, the true grace of grace of God, steps into those, into those places and into that world. And he says, here is what the fullness of God is like. And you can read the prologue of John and you can get the big picture, but John really wants you to read the rest of it. The rest of the gospel, because there you get all kinds of nuances that you would miss if you just read the prologue. You get all kinds of little pictures, windows into what God is like. So that at the end of the day, you can say, I have seen the fullness, the fullness of what God is like. And God wants you to see it. He desires for you to see his fullness. Uh, there's a writer I like who lives in, in Los Angeles, California. His name is Father Greg Boyle. And Father Greg leads a ministry called Homeboys uh, and Homegirl Cafe, Homeboy Industries. And Father Greg has written about the homeboys that he works with. And he writes about this reality that God wants all of us to see the fullness of God. And he, he uses his training in his Ignatius, Ignatian re, uh, spirituality to talk about how all of us struggle with seeing God's fullness. And at one point, he talks about how all of us, whether we've ever picked up scriptures, we come from different places, maybe we've never even been in a spiritual environment. Everybody, everybody has propositions or some idea of what God is like that runs through their mind. I don't know if you know this or not, but because you think about what God is like, that makes you a theologian. Now, you may not be a good theologian. You may be a very screwy theologian, but it still makes you a theologian because you're thinking about what God is like. That act in and of itself makes you a theologian. And so you can put that up. <clears throat> there you go. And then the next one that Father Greg talks about that he encounters in nation spirituality talks about is how we can be completely non-spiritual, but we're going to develop some kind of our thoughts about God. And then at some point along the way, something happens. Life happens in our world. There's something that we can't explain. And so somewhere along the way, we begin to get a sense that God may be nearby or something like the divine is around us or close to us. We don't really know what that means. But he said, all of us have these notions. There's something like God out there. We can think about it. Sometimes God or something like God seems to draw us close to us. And then he goes on to name the next one. He said, there becomes when God really moves close to us, a begrudging, reluctant notion that God might actually like us or love us. In the late 1800s, there was a poem uh, written called The Hound of Heaven, where the writer began to talk about this place. When God really begins to draw close to us, sometimes that can, that can put a lot of fear in us, or sometimes it can begin to put a lot of delight because we don't really know what that means but we might get the sense that God is really coming after us. I was out for a run about a week and a half ago, and uh, there were a couple dogs that, that I never knew were at this one house, and then I ran past, and they came out and they greeted me. And they were little dogs, but they were fierce, and the fierceness was in their eyes. 
And that sense of the hound of heaven, I'll tell you what, I didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. I didn't know if this was going to go down well or if their barking meant other things. Sometimes when God is drawing close to us, when the real God is drawing close to us, our lives can be filled with all kinds of emotions and wondering. But here's the thing, Father Greg says, that in the midst of our moving through different phases of spirituality and spiritual formation, that when the fullness of God really comes in front of us, when Jesus really comes and he encounters us and he embraces us, he said it becomes like the utter fullness of God rushing in on you. And you know the one with whom you move and live and have your being. And the thing about Christ, when he really gets close to you, what he really wants to do with each and every one of us is to dance cheek to cheek. He wants to be close. Like John said, how is Jesus, how is the son with the father? It's like his head is in his chest. Jesus wants to be that close to us that we talk and we walk and we have this fellowship. of The fullness of God is right next to us, within us. Well, how does Jesus come to us? How, does, how do we get to the, from the place of like we might have notions about God to really knowing him fully? How does that take place and transpire? Eugene Peterson, in his own translation of the scripture, says, in the incarnation, Jesus took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. One of the ways that Jesus seeks to move into our neighborhood is by the reality that we have the scriptures. We have the stories about what Jesus is like. And they're right out in front of us. And we are people who are invited, invited to take up the scriptures and read and to be open to them. I remember when I began to first take up the scriptures and read, I was, I was 15, 16 years of age. I started in Leviticus. That's not the best of places to start. It's just not the best of places. So I ended up turning in. I finished Leviticus because that was one of the things I thought I had to do, right? You start one book, you got to finish it, read it to the end. And then I went to the New Testament. I went to the Gospels, and I started reading them through. I read them at night beside my bed. Now I read 10, 10 to read in the morning. But I read at night, and when I opened up the pages of Scripture, I'm telling you, I've not had fire like that in my hands because um, the fire of God was sitting right in front of me. The picture of, and the fullness of God's grace was right in front of me, telling me who he was, what his love was like, what his grace was like, and who I was created to be, where I was missing marks from time to time. Everything was out in the open right in front of me. I see a bunch of you young people in here. I think about the places you're at. And, you know, you can pick up all kinds of little sayings or things about Jesus. And it's not just the young people, but the rest of us, too. Because, frankly, over the past several decades, all kinds of books and devotionals and everything else, great intentions. But what they do is they service up these little verses or these little real tiny pictures of Jesus. And there is so much more. And if you live on a verse a day, you are not living on much. You want to see the glory and the fullness of God, you've got to open your scriptures and listen, read it. See the full picture. This last week, I went out for a run. This is the first time I've ever done it, but I put an earbud in and I pushed play on the, on the gospel. I got, through, I got through six chapters of John. 
by the time I finished. I'm not going to tell you how far I ran because then you know how slow I am. But I tell you what, all along the way, I'm being reminded and shaped and formed because Jesus is revealing the fullness and the breadth of what he's like. He's not just one little picture. It's not one little thing. There is so much to him. The manifold glory of God is on display in him. And sisters and brothers, he wants you to have it. It's just like all those colors that are shining down and hitting all your faces right now, and some of you are blind. He wants you to see that glory. There's another way Jesus comes and he reveals himself to us right now. It's the way he did it in John's day. It's the way he's done it so many ways. He finds a way to put his voice into the voice of another human being or a human community. This past week, well, actually for the past several weeks, I've had the privilege of listening to stories of, of people for a podcast that we've been producing here at Schweitzer called Really Cool People. And it's just an interview where people talk about their lives and share what's happened in their own lives. And the podcast that dropped on Wednesday was an interview with Larry Brown. And Larry has a bunch of great stories, lots of different things. We got to the end of the podcast after talking for 55 minutes. He's like, there's so much more I didn't get to. And there were two stories that he, he pulled up instantaneously and immediately. Larry talked about when he was with me. He talked about when he was 21 years of age, he was trying to get a job at Hallmark. And Hallmark said, to get a job here, you've got to go get a physical. So he went and got a physical. He was in the medical exam room. The doctor asked him a bunch of questions. And then he said, do you have any family history that would be helpful to know about so I could put down on your chart? And Larry looked back at the doctor. And he said, no, doc. He said, I really don't know because I was adopted. And Larry said, I don't know if it was the way I said it. I don't know if it was the way... The, the way that my face looked, I don't know what made this doctor do this, but he heard something in that moment about a deep rumbling that was in my own heart about who I was, who I was becoming. He said, like an instant, that doctor turned to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me in the face and he said, you are one of the lucky ones because you know that you are loved and you are wanted. He said, so many people that I encounter don't know that they are loved and that they are wanted. But Larry, never forget that you were loved and wanted. He said, that was like an arrow shot from somewhere I didn't, didn't even know where it was coming from, and it landed in a deep place in my own heart. You see, God has a way of even meeting us now in the flesh of taking his word and speaking to us where we need it. Then Larry said, as I was in that space, got that job, started working at this place in Kansas City. He said, I ran into somebody else. Most of us wore smocks. And this one guy who was working on our team, he wore a suit all the time. I'm like, why are you wearing a suit when the rest of us are wearing smocks? He said, because this job I'm working right now pays for my real job of being a pastor. And Larry's like, that's interesting. He said, I quit going to church a while back. The guy's like, why'd you quit going to church? Why'd you give up on the church? Larry said, ah, that's a great question, but I want to know this. Why do you stay so invested in who Jesus is? Larry thought he had him. And this, pat, this black Baptist pastor looked at Larry and just said, you know what, Larry? 
He said, God gave us the greatest gift he ever gave us when he sent Jesus into this world, the fullness of God. Because he gave us, he put in front of us a life that we can live without fear. It's the greatest gift that we could ever be given, a life without fear. Larry's like, another arrow right into my heart. See, friends, in the person of Jesus, God puts right out in front of us the fullness of who he is. It's not just a slice. It's incredible. It can't be described in one book even. It's incredible. It can't be experienced in one moment. It's incredible. He puts out an invitation to each and every one of us that no matter where we're at, there is so much more. If you're a person, you've never encountered Christ, Jesus wants to encounter you. If you've been down this road and you've been in churches and you got church heard, you got church reservation, you got whatever, Jesus wants to encounter you with a fresh wind and a fresh fire. If you are dancing the jig with Jesus, Jesus still has more dances to teach you. No matter where you're at, John says, when you look at Jesus, you are seeing the fullness of God. The reality is, is he is madly in love with you. So Jesus, as we sit in this room today, as we watch online, we are at a thousand different places. Some of us know your love and some of us have never yet encountered it. We pray right now that you would show us your face. We pray right now that you would speak your words of life into our hearts and into our ears. We pray right now that you would plant a hunger within our stomachs that would never be satisfied until we eat of you and at your table. We pray right now that you would show us the fullness of yourself, wherever we're at. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, you are loved.